You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. Coming up, Harvard social scientist Mazarin Banaji on the psychology of unconscious bias. But first, a political junkie segment that must begin with some pretty big political news right here in Minnesota. We are tired of the shutdowns and the showdowns of the gridlock and the grandstanding. Today, on this snowy day on this island, we say enough is enough. Our nation, our nation must be governed not from chaos, but from opportunity, not by wallowing over what's wrong, but by marching inexorably toward what's right. Could that announcement have been any more Midwestern? Senator Amy Klobuchar, background obscured by a snowstorm, crowd bundled in mittens and scarves. Now that she's officially running for president, we're going to examine how influential the upper Midwest will be in 2020. Remember that Donald Trump won Wisconsin, Iowa, and he almost won Minnesota. So does Klobuchar get a boost because of her roots here? And how does that play through the rest of the field? We're joined by two guests, Ken Rudin, the political junkie, always with us on Mondays. Hi, Ken. Good to have you on the line. Hi, Kerry. Donna Hoffman is with us. She's a professor of political science at the University of Northern Iowa and with us from Cedar Falls, Iowa. And Donna, welcome to the political junkie segment. It's really good to have you on the line. Thank you, and good morning. Ken, remind us how key the cluster of states up here in the upper Midwest was to Donald Trump's ultimate victory in 2016. Oh, you're absolutely right. All the states you just mentioned uh, all went for Barack Obama, and I think both times, 2008 and 2012, but 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 uh, Donald Trump won Wisconsin, won Iowa, won Michigan, won Pennsylvania. Of course, that's not the upper Midwest, but that Midwestern... Eastern kind of uh, uh, politics have not gone Republican in a long time. Trump won them. One thinks that if the Democrats are going to regain the White House, Mm -hmm. regain the presidency in 2020, uh, that candidate, he or she, needs to do well and win those states. And, of course, uh, coming from Minnesota, which was very, very close in 2016, uh, Amy Klobuchar has to have a shot. Donna, would you put your finger on the political pulse of the upper Midwest? Who are we politically right now? Well, I think uh, we are an area of the country that... Um, is pretty open-minded, and maybe this is reflected in some of the uh, swings that we get in these states in terms of giving candidates um, a fair hearing. But, you know, there are, there are positive stereotypical images of the upper Midwest in particular that, you know, Amy Klobuchar drew a lot on yesterday in her speech, uh, the prairie pop- populism, the, the heartland, her roots uh, in that area. She even threw in the, uh, st- all the states even going down to the south, bordering the Mississippi. But you have that Midwestern work ethic that um, wanting to, to um, build consensus, and these are all themes that she's going to want to stress. Uh, Donna, I, I don't want to let go of what you just said about how she's drawing on um, values, I think, that upper Midwesterners are proud of. And yet she's drawing on those values just a mere, what, two and a half years, two years 
after Donald Trump was able to make the case to many of the voters that Klobuchar is going to want that he had the vision that would serve the upper Midwest. That that seems like a bit of a tall order to me to make the flip. So how do you see that? Well, I mean, if you look at just the state that I'm in, Iowa, uh, as Ken mentioned, we did go for Barack Obama in 08 and 12, and then we went for Trump in um, 16. And so there is that um, consideration, but the experience, any Democrat right now, who's, whoever gets the nomination, is going to stress the experience that the, that the country and the upper Midwest in particular, farmers, for example, have had uh, in a Donald Trump administration and okay. try to um, contrast what they would do uh, with Donald Trump. And so certainly you have that ability of those states, um, Iowa, Wisconsin in particular, um, it, you know, Minnesota, uh, Ohio, that um, some of those states uh, swing back and forth in elections. And so those voters have to be treated um, seriously in terms of the arguments they're presented because they um, are not firmly in one column or the other. Ken, let me pick up on what Donna just said. How would you describe what the hallmarks of the experience of the voters that really make up this upper Midwest uh, trio of states? And let's remember, I mean, we've got big urban centers, but we've also got a lot of rural territory. So what does that experience look like, do you think? Well, you know, something we have seen, I think going back to 2006, we've seen a desire in this country, especially in the Midwest, but a lot of the country, for something to work. So in other words, in the, it seems like after 2004, given the, the war in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, uh, the rising food prices, the rising gas prices, uh, the de- debacle over Hurricane Katrina, the Republican brand was, was hurting, badly hurting. And so it elected a Democratic House in 2006, got Nancy Pelosi as Speaker, 2008 elected Barack Obama. But again, these same voters who who so badly wanted change in 26, 2006, 2008 may not have seen it by then. And in 2010, they switched. Many of those same Obama voters voted Republican in 2010 with a 63-seat Republican gain in the House. Yeah. And many of them also voted for Republicans. Many Obama voters voted for Trump because, like Barack Obama, Donald Trump promised change. Unlike Hillary Clinton, which could have been a third Obama term, Donald Trump was promising that change. So I think it's one thing that's also indicative of change is that, I mean, Minnesota, yes, but also Michigan and Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. two states part of that Trump coalition, both states replaced Republican governors in 2018 with Democratic governors. So again, I think the voters just keep searching for a change and they'll keep searching until they get it right. I I was going to ask you that, Ken, whether you think that basically every election has become a change election because we're at very low levels of trust and confidence in government across the electorate. I think that's true. You know, I mean, I was you know, as somebody who studies political history. I was always fascinated by people in 1968 after Bobby Kennedy was killed. I learned that so that a lot of Bobby Kennedy supporters backed George Wallace. I know that sounds almost inconceivable. It, it does. And, I, and I don't know how what, what a lot means, but I know there was a dissatisfaction, a wariness with the status quo, and they wanted change. So so I don't know. It's one thing to peg people. I know we love to say that this state is liberal, this state is conservative. I think that's too simplistic. Too simple. I think what yeah. It, 
Yeah, absolutely. I think what it really is is that people are hungering for change. And you heard it in Klobuchar's speech yesterday, uh, speaking about you know what she offers. I noticed it was on the I-35 bridge, right? And she talks about herself as being a bridge builder. And of course, that bridge was repaired. But I think that's what I think that these politicians are all talking about, that they could put an end to this divisiveness in this country that we've seen not only under Trump, we saw it under Obama as well, and just enough is enough, and I think that's what Klobuchar was talking about yesterday. Ken Rudin with us as he always is for the Political Junkie segment on Mondays, but we've invited Donna Hoffman in as well since we had the big announcement from Senator Amy Klobuchar that she is formally in the race for the Democratic nomination for president. Donna is a professor of political science at the University of Northern Iowa. Donna, I want to ask you about Wisconsin. I was looking at a map of Wisconsin from 2016, and it it grouped rural and urban counties. And of course, it's clear that Trump won in rural areas. But he also outperformed candidates like Romney in some small to medium urban centers. Now, let's project forward into the general election of 2020. Whoever the Democratic candidate is, and if it's Amy Klobuchar, they really can't afford to give up votes in those small to medium-sized urban centers because they're probably going to lose votes in the rural areas. So how does she toggle between the two? Well, certainly that uh, rural-urban divide is is becoming one of the uh, defining characteristics, I think, of um, American politics, but certainly uh, Wisconsin, Iowa in particular, uh, we see it here as well. And so you, um, as a Democratic candidate, in Wisconsin or in Iowa, where there are those very, very rural areas and then some of the more urban areas, you have to understand how to talk to voters. And you know, I think that uh, Klobuchar, from, from what I've been able to gather uh, looking in from Iowa, uh, does pretty well at the retail politics, um, talking to varying audiences. And to you know get to uh, back to Iowa and the Iowa caucuses, just as an example here, yeah. that's one of the things that we know. I mean, first, she's going to have to win the nomination, right, before she can go to the general. Iowa's important in that path. One of the things we know that works, or at least traditionally has worked on the Democratic side in Iowa uh, in the caucuses, is that organizing, but also that retail politics and going out to the small venues. Um, because Iowa, you know, when you think about Iowa and its population centers, they're really not very large from the perspective right. of, of Wisconsin, even. Right. Um, so Des Moines is the biggest you know, area, and it's less than uh, half a million people. And so you really do have to go out and talk to those medium-sized cities, talk to those rural areas, talk to uh, people who are involved in agriculture, which is not just farmers in some of these states, because there's agriculture manufacturing, uh, there's wind energy concerns um, and uh, support uh, as well. And so talking to those diverse audiences and coming from a state like Minnesota, where you also have that some of that um, rural-urban divide as well, having experience talking to those kinds of folks can really um, help in, the, in this area. Donna, one last question for you. Does proximity to Iowa help a Minnesotan? It didn't seem to work for Tim Pawlenty, and it didn't work for Michelle Bachman. Does it matter in the end that we live in a state that's north of Iowa? It's not a necessary condition, but it can help you. Um, it can help you in terms of 
um, again, having that retail experience, understanding you know the, the, the nature of being from the Midwest as well. But you're also close. And one of the things we know that is important in the Iowa caucuses is coming and talking to people and visiting. And so it's easier to do that, quite frankly, if you're uh, in one of the neighboring states. And, um, and, you know, we can look at even within the caucuses in 2004, um, Dick Gephardt from a, a neighboring state of Missouri ran, but John Kerry ended up winning the Democratic That's caucuses right. in that state. Yeah. So, again, it's not a necessary condition uh, that you be from the Midwest to do well in the Iowa caucuses, but it can give you some of that experience in terms of retail politics, uh, maybe in terms of organizing, um, the, stressing that Midwestern roots uh, that, that we heard in her speech yesterday that can potentially give you an edge if you can deploy it effectively. Donna, I look forward to talking again. I hope we can do that. It's, it's been great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Donna Hoffman with us from the University of Northern Iowa. Ken, um, Donna just mentioned John Kerry, and I just saw CNN put up a a grid of all the potential 2020 Democratic nominees, and Kerry was on the grid. I, I, did you <laughs> well, know so, that? Yeah, well, yes. I, well, yes. I mean, he has said, he, he, I think he gave a speech, uh, some comments a few weeks, months ago, that he hasn't completely ruled it out. I think there was also a Wall Street Journal article that said, well, Hillary Clinton hasn't ruled it out either. John Kerry is not running. Hillary Clinton is running. But there are so many things that Donna said that I just want to talk about. First of all, we should know that today is it's exactly one year from uh, today. That's the New Hampshire primary. Uh, The the Iowa caucuses is uh, February 3rd. Uh, The New Hampshire is February 11th. And she mentioned Dick Gephardt didn't do well in 2004. And that's true. But Dick Gephardt did win the Iowa caucuses in 1988 ah. by 2004 he was he was fighting with howard dean wasn't biden also Sorry? running in 88 well he dropped out because of plagiarism right, in 1987 but, I mean, oh 87 he, he got it oh okay. he dropped out yeah he never got to 88 and of course biden uh in 2008 dropped out the day of the iowa caucuses i mean he fi- he finished with like point something percent. He said, okay, goodbye, I'm gone. That's how influential Iowa can be. I mean, Tim Pawlenty dropped out when he did poorly That's in the right. Iowa straw, in the straw poll, poll the year before that. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Here's the th- I, I, Iowa is, is uh, Donna is exactly right. You need a lot of organizing, a little or, you know, early organizing in a state like Iowa that, that allows retail politics. But remember, not long after the Iowa caucuses uh, and the New Hampshire primary is South Carolina where Kamala Harris and, and Cory Booker and, are expected to do very well. And, Car- and, and California. Through, yeah. That's exactly right. California has come, moved up really early. And so for all the, the expertise you may have, the experience you have in running retail politics, you have to also have a giant media strategy because you're not going to be able to shake everybody's hand in California. And that's where you know, perhaps Kamala Harris or somebody, you know, somebody with a, a an Eastern, more liberal bent may do well. So there's a lot of imponderables, but obviously we start off with Iowa, and that's why I kind of think that Klobuchar, the kind of campaigner she is, the proximity to Iowa has to help. Ken, it's going to be exciting, and I hope you're with us all the way. So I'll talk to you again soon. I'm already excited. <laughs> I can tell. Ken we have Rudin, 51 weeks to go. The political junkie on Mondays. You just heard a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to the discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet us at NPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all our shows by subscribing to this podcast. You can send us your questions or comments by emailing talk at npr.org.